I think we're foolish if we think that the devil can work on them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we can fix it in an hour on Sunday. Um, you know, that's, that's just silly. So we have to understand what it is that the devil is doing. Thank you for joining us for this episode of General Order 4. On this episode, we're going to be talking about how the devil does his job. Hello, and welcome to this episode of General Order 4. And on today's episode, we are going to start digging into what it is exactly that the devil is doing to stop us from doing our job. And so we're going to be talking about how the devil does his job. And I am joined, as usual, by Pastor Brian Stewart today. Good day. And uh, we are going to try and dig into this as best we can and try and be an encouragement to you. It, one of the things that we know and that any person in, uh, in, in in the military or in any kind of conflict will tell you is that the best way to fight your enemy is to know your enemy. And so we uh, want to take a little bit of a deep dive into how the devil does his job so we can know how to better protect ourselves and also to um, uh, fight against that as we are called to be in a warfare. We'll look at the armor of God here in a little bit as well, but um, we are called to be in a warfare and this is a warfare. And if you haven't recognized that recently, you haven't been paying attention. Uh, so we want to dig into that a little bit and see how the devil does his job so we can better prepare ourselves for the fight that we are in. And uh, Pastor Stewart, I appreciate you being with me. If you want to uh, take us right to First John, and we'll get started. All right. Uh, just as you're turning to First John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, we're going to look there in just a moment. But I did want to just thank one of our listeners for uh, contacting us and they kind of uh, pointed out that we didn't really cover much about what the adversary is going to do. And uh, so this episode is a direct result of one of our listeners contacting us. And appreciate all of you that are listening. And uh, if you have any input or uh, any uh, help for us, we're certainly open for that. would love to hear from you. And uh, did get a report that uh, the last episode was very helpful uh, to an individual, a gentleman, and so we appreciate hearing from you. So please, uh, at the end of the ep uh, episode, please, uh, you'll hear the uh, email and uh, respond to that and give us a shout out and uh, let us know what's going on. If you have a prayer request, again, we'd love to be praying for you as well. I hope you found First John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. I wanted to kind of start there uh, notice in this passage, God gives us uh, some real instruction, some good instruction. Uh, he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, when we, when we see that word all, it should get our attention. Uh, he's pretty, uh, pretty inclusive here. He says everything that is in the world is one of three things, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And then he makes this comment, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so in this passage, we have identified for us really one of the adversarial forces that's going to be working against the believer. So we're in the context of discipleship. We are looking at 
this responsibility, who's responsible for what. We've identified that the discipler is responsible to teach and instruct the Word of God, teaching the, the disciple E, the one being discipled, to observe that which Christ has commanded us, or that which God has commanded us. And so if we're going to be teaching that, we're going to meet with opposition, and we're going to see this opposition in one of its forms is in all that is in the world. And so we know that we have the opposition of the world, we have the opposition of our flesh, and, and that is a battlefront. And then there's another battlefront that's, that is the devil himself. And we're really going to look at, at two of these, the world and the devil, and how that battlefront is uh, something that we're going to need to deal with. And as a discipler, and certainly as a pastor, we're going to need to be able to uh, know how to, how to wage this warfare. And so the first thing we need to identify is where is this warfare happening? What is the terrain, the, the, the battleground? Where is this taking place? That's going to indicate a lot of things to us. And so mm-hmm. we see here, first and foremost, that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, he doesn't use or in there. He uses and. All right. three of these are going to be what? They are something that we should not love. Isn't that how he started this out in verse 15? We mm-hmm. need to ha- not have a love for any of these three things because none of these three things are of the Father. None of these proceed from the Father. So notice how he connects it to our relationship with our Father. Everything is connected in, in, in the Scriptures to our relationship with God. It's not about an intellectual understanding. It's not about a, a trivial understanding of these things. It is about a personal relationship with Him. And He says, hey, these are not of your Father, but these are all of the world. And, and none of the things that are of the world do we need to love. And so He wants us to distance ourselves. Why is that? If we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Notice the God of this world is the title that is given to Satan here. But notice, remember what the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are? They are of this the world. Right. Notice the God of this world and of the world. Notice the connection here. In the God of this world, what is he doing? He is blinding the minds of them that believe not. Why? Because he doesn't want the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Mm -hmm. Why doesn't he want the gospel to shine in them? Because God wants what? Every one of us to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, He then wants us to conform to the image of his son. Mm -hmm. All of these themes are right here in this this verse, and we see that this is our adversary. The the world and the God of this world are intimately connected, and they're going to operate in this same realm. But look with me to verse 2. He says, but let's start in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 4, 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. So now he's talking to who? He's talking to believers. As we have received mercy, we faint not, but we have renounced. He's talking about some things that he has renounced. 
the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Mm-hmm. And notice the in, in two verses later is when he identifies the God of this world, which is blinded. Well, how has he blinded the minds of them that believe not? It's through the deceitful use of the word of God. Right. There's a lot of people that have this idea that, well, that's scripture, or there's a verse with that. And a lot of times, just because somebody tags a verse along on something mm-hmm. does not mean that they are properly and rightly divided the word of truth. Sure. And notice here, he clearly identifies that we can handle the word of God deceitfully, and we can walk in craftiness, and, and we can be dishonest with it. And so we need to be very careful. The word of God is so important that that's what will save us, that's what will sustain us, that is what will edify and build us up, and that is what will give us the victory. Yeah, and I, I think if we, even while we're looking at this passage here in Second Corinthians chapter 4, um, it, it talks about if our gospel be hid as him to, that, to them that are lost, our flesh does a good job of keeping us in the dark. Um, all on its own. Mm-hmm. But the world and the devil have an extra job in that in the times in which your flesh isn't doing a good job because someone's actually brought the gospel to you, now the world and the devil, they have to kick in and try and swallow that up. If, if you remember the story, um, the parable about the, the sower and the seeds, right? You've got all of the different kinds of ground. Well, one of those types of ground is that thorny ground. And Jesus specifically says, and he says this of the birds as well, but the idea there is that it gets snatched away or or once it takes root, it gets choked out. So the birds are those that come and they take that gospel seed away before it even gets a chance. That's, that's the world, that's the devil coming and snatching that seed away. And then also the, the seed that does take and begins to grow, um, that again is the world and the devil choking it out, trying to get rid of it as fast as they possibly can. Um, because the gospel has an amazing impact on people's life. It does away with our old man. Uh, it does away with our flesh, right? And so now we have yes. this combat against new flesh and old flesh, our new man and our old man. It does away with the flesh. And so the the devil and the world, then their job is to come in as best they can and to rip that out. And one of the ways they do that is by the mishandling of the Word of God. Um, and so one of the example of that um, you actually see in the, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And in Matthew chapter number 4, it talks about how um, about how Satan attempted to tempt the the Lord to sin. And the way he did that is quite interesting. And so if you look in verse number one, it says that Jesus was led up of the spirit to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. I find it interesting that the spirit is the one that led him into the wilderness to be tempted. You know, um, we can get into that later, Mm -hmm. Um, but it says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, so he was mentally and spiritually prepared. He was an afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, that's the devil He said, if thou be the son of God, so he's already doubting who he is, casting doubt, command that these stones be made bread. Do something that you obviously are able to do, right? Yeah. And Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That it is written is referencing scripture, stuff that that the Lord had spoken with his own mouth, breathed, inspired of God, and is written down. So he says, it's written that man shall not uh, live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Um, 
And then in verse number five, it says, then the devil taketh him up into an holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him and saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down for it is written again, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and, and in their hands, they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And that's Psalm 91 that he's quoting there. And so, the devil is using scripture now to try and tempt Jesus to do something that he should not do. However, he's taking scripture out of context here. Uh, if you read Psalm 91, it talks about dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, right? So, um, you know, when you're doing God's will, then that is when the protections there come in and protect you. Uh, that's when the angels there have charged concerning you. That's the hedge of protection that God put around Job because he was in the will of God, right? And so Jesus writes back, or speaks back and says, Jesus saith unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. In other words, Jesus is saying, if I do something like that, I am stepping out of the will of God. And so that protection is not afforded me. If you're rightly dividing scripture, then what the devil is quoting it to him from scripture no longer applies because he's done something to get himself out of the shadow of the almighty as it is talking about in Psalm 91. So again, Jesus is rightly dividing the word of God. He's rightly uh, taking in context the scripture that he's giving to the devil, whereas the devil is taking out of context or in the wrong way, he's speaking to what Jesus is saying. So you've got this comparison going back and forth. And of course, the devil tempts him again a third time, and he answers the same way with the scripture properly divided. So is the devil afraid to use the word of God against you? I would say absolutely mm-hmm. not. He wasn't even afraid to use the word of God against God himself. So yeah, it, 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 it's important that we understand um, that people are going to use the word of God um, and they're going to use it in the wrong way. I think uh, if you've ever had a Mormon knock on your door, you know exactly what I'm talking about, um, because they use when they knock on your door, they typically don't knock on your door with a book of Mormon in their hand. They knock on your door with a Bible in their hand and then they talk to you about things that they find in Scripture And they misuse those things in order to try and make a convert out of you. And unfortunately, a good portion of people who become Mormon are actually started out Christian. And because these they use the scripture and misuse the scripture, they are able to convince people of something that is not true using something that is true, um, taken out of context. And it's the very same thing that the devil's doing here to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is amazing um, that that's why, you know, so many times in Scripture, the Bible says things like study to show thyself approved, that we need to know the Scripture and divide it properly in order to protect ourselves. Now, what does this have to do with discipleship? On last week's episode, we spent some time talking about Uh, the persons involved in the discipleship process. I guess this is two weeks ago. Um, Before we talked about the the pastor's job, we talked about whose job is it. And we talked about how there's one, the first person involved is the Holy Spirit. And the second person involved is the discipler. 
and the third person involved is the disciple Lee, right? Mm-hmm. And those three people are all working in order to get things to work properly. And we talked about how the, the Lord always does his job. The Holy Spirit will always do his job. And if there's a breakdown in communication and the discipleship process isn't going well, um, it, it, it falls on either the discipler or the disciple And we kind of missed a point, and I'm glad that our, our listener reached out to us. And, we, and the, the point that we missed was this. There is a fourth thing involved here. And it may be more than one person, uh, but there's a fourth entity involved. And that fourth entity involved is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, I don't think I really need to go into the flesh on this one because we all know that our flesh fights against us. Hmm. (laughs) Um, If you don't know that, then you haven't tried to read your Bible in the morning. Uh, because if you're anything like me, you try to read your Bible in the morning and there's 150 distractions going on first thing in the morning. So, um, the, the flesh is always trying to, trying to stop you, but the world and the devil are also actively involved. And in that discipleship process, when you're speaking to somebody, they have influences on their life outside of scripture and outside of you as a discipler, that person has got the devil whispering in his ear. And, 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 and telling him things. That person has got other Christians, perhaps, that are telling him things. And some of that may confuse him. And so we have to do something. We have to do the same thing that Christ did. And we have to compare the scripture with the scripture. Mm-hmm. And if we go back to the passage that we started out in, in First John chapter 2, and what we read earlier, we talked about um, we talked about uh, about how the world, the flesh, the, the excuse me, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And John is is as he's writing, he's making a comparison here between the truth and the things that the Lord wants and the lie and the things that the world, the flesh, and the devil want. And that's why in verse 22, he literally says, who is a liar, but but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. And he talks about Antichrist a little bit there. Um, that's not talking about the Antichrist. It's talking about the spirit of Antichrist that people can possess. Mm-hmm. But if we go down a little bit further, in verse number 26, um, he tells us why he's writing. He says, these things have I written unto you, Concerning them that seduce you. That's the devil. That's the world. Your flesh, obviously, is always trying to seduce you. But he's talking about the devil, the world, these active people who are trying to seduce you. And he says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Who abides in you as a Christian? That's the Holy Spirit, right? So he says, The anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, so these are saved individuals he's talking to, children of God, abide in him, that when he shall appear, that's Christ, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So John is saying here, 
And if we, we could get hung up if we wanted to on verse 27 and talk about how he says, and ye not, need not that any man teach you. And I've heard people take that out of context, believe it or not, and say that you don't need to go to church, that you can do your own Bible study at home because John said, I don't need any man to teach me. Um, I can just be taught by Christ. Now, that's not what he's saying. He's making a comparison, again, between the world and the devil and then the Holy Spirit. There's a comparison being made between those two things. He's not saying that nobody can teach you, period. He's saying that if someone's going to teach you, everything that is being taught has to be compared by the Scripture. It has to be compared by the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about before, the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to teach you is His Word, right? Yes. So... Everything that is being taught in a discipleship process and the person that is being discipled, they need to know that, listen, everything that we hear, everything that is preached, everything that is talked about between Christians, everything in life has to be compared back to what does the Bible say about it. And if the Bible is silent on that particular topic, then we can have varying opinions. But where the Bible speaks on something and we know what the Bible says, then we agree with the Scripture, and we we have decided to stay right there. We have to compare Scripture with Scripture. We have to make sure we keep things in context because the devil's not afraid to use the Scripture. But everything has to go by the Holy Spirit. And I'm sitting down across the table from someone that I'm discipling, and that person struggling with something that they heard another Christian say, and they don't know what the truth is. My job as their discipler is to say, all right, Let's take a look at the passage they took you to and compare that with other scriptures and make sure that we're keeping it in the context of what's going on and go through it with them. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil is going to do the very best they can to try and confuse that person. That has been my experience as well, is that uh, you're going to run into situations where somebody that hasn't been an influence in this person's life, they just got saved is all of a sudden going to show up and all of a sudden going to want to help them, uh, quote-unquote, help them with their understanding of the Bible. And mm-hmm. uh, that's a good illustration there, Simeon, that we need to be able to understand and know that, hey, when these things come up, uh, it is not my job or your job as a discipler or even as a pastor to tell people they're wrong. We need to be able to show them where the where the wrong is from the word of god and let the holy spirit convict them and and convince them of what is right and wrong and let me tell you from experience that's not always easy sure uh it's the easy thing is to just identify because we know the truth and we've been taught the truth and and the easiest thing is just to you know kind of wag your finger and say no that's wrong uh but the 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 most productive thing is to show them where God speaks in his word, what God says about those certain things, and then help them to understand and come to the knowledge of the truth and, and to come to know what Christ's mind is on those matters. Uh, one last passage I'd like us to look at is Ephesians chapter 6, and that should be fairly familiar to somebody who's been saved for a while. Uh, it's the passage that we deal with when we deal with the whole armor of God. And he kind of says, finally, my brethren, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles 
of the devil. We're talking about how is the the devil, how is the world, and how, really how is the flesh going to kind of enter into this discipleship process and get involved, and, and what role do they play? And they play a significant role. But notice he tells us that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. The person that you are discipling is not the enemy. The person that you are trying to witness to is not the enemy. They are blinded by the enemy. Mm-hmm. They are deceived by the enemy. Uh, and, and so when you're dealing with this young disciple, you're dealing with somebody who has been deceived, who has been blinded, who has not been able to trust, but has no other options than the one that was deceiving them. And so he tells us in in all of these points, and I'm not going to do a whole study here in Ephesians 6, but if you do a study through there, you'll find that every one of these aspects of the armor of God is pointing us to the Word of God or something that the Word of God teaches us. Uh, For instance, that we're to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, where do we get the gospel of peace? Well, the gospel of peace is the one who is the Prince of Peace, and that's Jesus Christ. And so again, if you look at these, every one of these is referencing somehow the scriptures in some way, shape, or form. And so just like we had illustrated earlier that Jesus won the battle when he faced temptation, when he dealt with uh, overcoming the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the lust uh, and the pride of life, when he was dealing with those situations, what was it that he relied on to be able to win that battle? And that is what we need to rely on to be able to see that battle won in the hearts and lives of those that God has given to us to minister to and to to love and to care for. And so whether you're a discipler, which every believer who is faithful in Christ Jesus should be bearing fruit at the the appropriate age and appropriate level of maturity, and they should be then discipling others to to their level of maturity and beyond as they continue to grow and they continue to mature. And then pastors, it is our responsibility to oversee this process within the church. And so a couple things to pastors I'd like to encourage you to consider, and that is if the pastor is not doing this job, then who's going to do the job? Mm-hmm. Even if you have five or six men or women in the church that are wanting to do this, if the pastor is not creating an environment where where actual ministry is taking place and not just programs and not just organization, mm-hmm. but where real intentional growth and maturity is taking place. It What I have found is it takes a complete understanding of the structure of the church, and it really takes us looking at the model that this first world church that we've grown up in is not very productive towards actual discipleship, to where there is an intentional giving of the Word of God, and it takes a, a pastor who's going to seek the heart of God, who will allow God and His Spirit to show him the way to be able to understand and know what needs to be taken out. There's a lot of dross. There's a lot of, of uh, wasted time and energy and resources in our churches today that needs to be 
parried out. It needs to be, but it needs to be done very surgically, and that's where the Holy Spirit is the capable agent here, right? Through the Word of God and through giving us direction. But there is there's a lot of things in our in our modern church that are not productive towards people growing and maturing to Christ likeness. And right. we, we need to do some very soul searching and we need to get with the Lord on that matter and uh, and spend some serious time finding out what it is that he wants us to do. But the other thought is this, that uh, I've known some pastors through the years that uh, take an extraordinary amount of their week and spend it in study. And uh, in no way am I saying study is not good. We need to study. We need to be that's what we saw last week in First Timothy four, thirteen, where we need to continue to give attendance to uh, those three things that he talked about. The three things that he talked about was uh, giving attendance to reading, to exhortation, and giving attendance to uh, doctrine. And in First Timothy four thirteen. When we give attendance to these things, the reading is the act of reading. Obviously, this would be the Word of God. We need to give attendance to exhortation. That's imploring people to uh, the truths that uh, that they need to understand and know. And we need to give attendance to doctrine. That's the instructing or the teaching that God has given us that we need to pass on to those that we're ministering to. Again, whether you're a pastor or whether you're a minister, a mm-hmm. faithful person who's in Christ Jesus, we need to be making sure that we're giving attendance to these things. But I, I'd like to point out that two of the three are actually us giving it out, and only one of them is us receiving. Mm-hmm. When we're reading, we're receiving. When we're exhorting and when we're giving doctrine or instructing in doctrine, that's us giving it out. And so right. I just want to say that they're, they're, they're the middle, the balanced approach here is that there's a balance between our study and our giving out. But that's what we're to give attendance to. He doesn't say here we're to give attendance to a whole lot of other things. Now, yes, we do know the role of a pastor is, or a bishop is to be an overseer. And so we definitely need to be able to give oversight to all that's taking place, but that's so that what? So that the priority can be the instructing of God's people for growth, for maturity, so that the church will grow because the individual members of that body are growing as well. And so when we have that proper balance between our study time and our giving time, We can't spend all week studying and then just stand before the people for an hour or two on Sunday and give them now, and if you do that, you can give them a wonderful message, but are you really giving them what they need? And can you do that from just the pulpit? And so there needs to be a balance in our study time and our giving time of those truths, but there also needs to be a balance in our individual and our corporate teaching as Mm -hmm. well. We need to individually teach people the gospel. We need to then, if they accept that, then we need to teach them the things that Christ has taught us. 
But we also have the corporate responsibilities of teaching and instructing as well when you get to that role of mm-hmm. pastor and, uh, and or deacon. Uh, a deacon ought to be able to t- properly teach the scriptures. They ought to be mature enough to be able to handle the Word of God. We see a wonderful example of that in the life of Stephen. Uh, right. If you read the message he preached before he was stoned, uh, you want to talk about a powerful message. Mm-hmm. Uh, that deacon, uh, Stephen, was able to preach mightily, uh, and he took you through the whole Old Testament and walked you through and pointed out who Christ was. And so uh, the, there's a, there just, what we're saying here is that there needs to be a balance. If discipleship, what it should produce in, a, in an individual but it also should produce in a pastor, mm-hmm. and then obviously in the body, is a balanced approach to ministry where the ministry of the Word of God is paramount and it's taken seriously, but it's not something that's withheld from the people, but it's given to every believer so that every believer can mature to the image of Jesus Christ and so that they can have an understanding of his mind and an understanding of his will for their sure, lives. Sure. As a pastor, how are you supposed to know what to preach if you're not in contact on a regular basis with the people? That's a good point. You're not going to have a knowledge of, you know, and, and and I understand that we're supposed to be listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and preaching what God would have us to preach. I, I understand all of that, um, and that is true. However, um, if you are not in touch with what the needs that your people have, um, then the Holy Spirit is, you're not going to be able to have an understanding of what they need. And so when you're making application, you're right there. So there's, you're studying, you're understanding the word of God, but you've also got to apply the word of God. And so when you're making application to people's lives, if you're not in touch with those very people, how are you supposed to make application? How are you supposed to apply the word of God to their lives when you don't know where the wounds are to apply it to, right? And so that it's, it's vitally important that we spend that time with them, teaching them, instructing them, discipling them, spending time with them. And when you're doing that, your, your study will be that much more effective because you'll know your people better. You'll know what their needs are. You'll know how things apply. And, um, you know, we definitely would never minimize the importance of study and and the importance that that has on your preaching, the importance that has on your personal life. Obviously, the, the, the disciples, the 12 in Acts that we talked about last week, they said, hey, you know, we can't be doing all this other stuff. We have to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Um, so the study is definitely vitally important. But the ministry of the word doesn't just involve the study. It involves the ministry. Mm-hmm. That word ministry means teaching the word of God, right? Um, and so that was what they wanted to give themselves to, not not studying all of the time, not doing all of the other things that we do throughout the week. And I think, honestly, for the people that I've talked to, Pastor Stuart, and this is probably true for you as well, the pastors that I have talked to, the ones that really, really emphasize needing to, um, to jealously guard their study time, Typically, what they're doing is they're combat they're combating against the idea of of doing all of the the other stuff. They're combating against 
having to go and do all these hospital visits and having to go and do all of this other stuff. And they're saying, I have to give myself to, to this because this is what the pastors should do. And they're not wrong. All of that other stuff needs to be done, but does it need to be done by the pastor? Not necessarily. We addressed that a little bit last week. Um, because the devil constantly is going to be putting stuff in the way of the ministry. But um, compensating for doing all of those other things by barricading yourself in study isn't, isn't what we're supposed to be doing either. The correct approach to that, I believe, biblically speaking, is that we are spending, we're still spending time with our people. We're still spending time with them. We may not necessarily be doing a lot of these other things, but we're still getting out there, spending time with those people, investing in their lives, uh, uh, teaching from the scripture, discipling those people, getting plugged in. Um, and, and so we're not just barricading ourselves in our office and studying, because if we do that, we're going to be so out of touch um, with the people that we're trying to minister to. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I experienced early on in ministry in the early years, I should say first decade or so, and then any time I had a new responsibility that I didn't have a direct supervisor, is that uh, you kind of look to those that you have followed uh, in the ministry, and you kind of pattern your time frame and your your work ethic and and how you approach matters. And sometimes that's not always the best way to do it. Obviously, we can have mentors and we can have men that will guide us and and, and lead us. And many times that can be some positive things. But what we what I've had to do is I've had to go back to what does he say in the Word of God? What does he give me as my job? And remember, I'm not going to answer to the men that I'm following, uh, to the you know giants in the faith that uh, that I've learned to love and respect. I'm not going to give an account to them on how I pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I get in that role of pastor, I'm going to give an account to Jesus Christ. It's his church. Uh, I don't have any command authority. All I have to do, as we talked about last time, is that I have a responsibility to to make sure that his will and his commands are, are what are being done. And so I understand the pressures that can be in, in the life of a pastor that the people think that there's certain things that you should do and there's expectations that are put on us from the body uh, of Christ. And, and whether that's right, wrong, or indifferent, we're going to feel those pressures. What, what we need to come to is a point where we understand what the role is, we understand what our job is, and we recognize we're going to give an account for what that what he has said our job is and what he has instructed us in his word and when once we have that foundation then it's our job to instruct the body to understand and know what that is and it's something that's going to take time it's not going to happen overnight but then we can slowly be getting on track and we can do our best to take and prioritize our time our resources the resources of the body of christ and all that he has put under our charge you remember he said to take charge he didn't say wait for them to give you charge mm-hmm. but you're to take charge but we're not to do it as lords lording over god's heritage it's his heritage again the picture of steward comes in here we're a steward that means i'm not an owner i'm just a manager for the owner and so I need to manage this in a way that as few people 
are affected by this and as many people are given the opportunity to make the right choices and and make those th- uh, decisions to do right and to do things according to God's will and his way and right is always God's way mm-hmm. and man's way is always wrong and so we've got it we kind of get put in the middle and if you want to read some interesting stories of being put in the middle read some of the Old Testament uh, accounts of Moses and dealing with the children of Israel yeah. and how often was the children of Israel wrong and how often was Moses wrong mm-hmm. uh, Moses was wrong a couple of times but it was precipitated by millions of people uh, frustrating him to no end mm-hmm. and so uh, what we see is that this discipleship model, as I believe, as we've tried to show you from the scriptures, will give you the tools to be the man of God, the minister of God, and the pastor that God has called you to be, no matter what role he's called you to in his church. Mm-hmm. He has equipped us, and there are some wonderful benefits. When we go back to what, uh, Brother Simeon, what you brought up just a few moments ago about knowing what to preach. Well, when you know where your the God's people are in their growth and maturity, and you have measurable standards to be able to understand that, and you know that you have three or four uh, children in the church, and you have 10 or 15 babes in Christ, and you probably have a couple of people that are attending that might not be saved yet, you know you're not going to cover some of the real heavy meat of the doctrine of God's Word. And so you're going to keep things to a minimum. But when you get to the point where you've got... 30 to 45, 50 mature people in the church, and you've got another 25 to 30 that are immature, or maybe even more that are immature, babes in Christ, and then you have a handful that's probably not saved as well, Mm -hmm. your messages can be uh, tailored towards giving some real meat, giving some, some you know, stuff that's uh, on the lower shelf and then giving some of the milk of God's word mm-hmm. for the babes that are there as well. But when you know the the continuity of the church, and how do you know that? Well, you know it because you know what people have been taught. Mm-hmm. Before I started discipling people, I made a, a, gra- a grave error in assuming that somebody that had been in church for X amount of years knew what the scripture says on, you know, this matter about attendance or about giving or about, uh, you know, our obedience in in this matter or that matter. And what I find out is you talk to people, they don't have a clue. Yeah. And, And when they don't have a clue, it's because nobody sat down and taught them these things in a way that they can understand and know them. Now, they've been preached about. I remember saying early on, You know, uh, somebody would come to me and say, well, your people don't understand this. And I said, well, I've preached four messages on that in the last six weeks. Uh, They ought to know it. Well, I found preaching wasn't the way that they learn it initially. They've got to have the foundation laid. And when the foundation is laid, then we can add to that understanding and put them in remembrance of the things that they've learned and then add to that understanding through the preaching and the teaching of God's Word corporately. And right. so uh, I kind of feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but I, I trust that these are helpful things that uh, we understand the role of discipleship in dealing with the the enemy, the adversary, and and how these tools can be very helpful mm-hmm. to a church, to an individual, to a pastor, 
to be able to to do the work of the ministry. We've been called to the work of the ministry, and we have been called to the ministry of the Word of God, and it's the Word of God that they need, and that's what we need, and that's what we need to share with them. Right. I think we're foolish if we think that the devil can work on them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we can fix it in an hour on Sunday. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's just silly. So we have to understand what it is that the devil is doing. And I think we've tried to do our best to kind of bring to the forefront what it is that the devil does and how it is that he does it and how it is that we're supposed to combat that. Now, each individual believer has to combat that for themselves by putting on the whole armor of God. But as a disciple or as a teacher, as a pastor, whatever your role is, you can also help that person by making sure that we're bringing them back to the scripture, rightly dividing the scripture, keeping things in context, and making sure that when they do have questions, we aren't ignoring it, we aren't putting them off, we aren't uh, addressing it as if they should know better. What we're doing is we're saying, okay, great, let's take a look at that open up the passage that they're talking about, whatever it is that they're having an issue with, and rightly dividing that passage, that's going to be far more effective than anything that we can try and correct from a pulpit. Mm -hmm. So let's try to do that. Let's try to take the scripture and teach people the way that they need to be taught in everyday, real-life type scenarios, people that they really meet, people that they really know, and do the best that we can to try and help those people. And uh, that is really all that we have time for today. And again, we loved that somebody reached out to us and uh, let us know that, hey, maybe we needed to address this topic. If you have any suggestions like that, things that you'd like us to address, readdress, or dig into a little bit deeper, please reach out to us. Um, and I'll give you all the information to do that in this thing. But thanks again so much for joining us this week. And uh, we'll have some more content again uh, out for you next week. Thanks so much. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On next week's episode, we're going to do an interview with a missionary in the Dominican Republic. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter, at General Order, the number 4. Please like, share, and subscribe.